Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, August the 4th, 2023, coming to another end of the week on Keenon. Lots of stuff we've had this week on women, on how we should be thinking about women. A lot of it triggered by the Barbie movie, which is incredibly provocative. Uh, I think particularly for women, we had two people on the show recently, Olivia Rattigliano, who likes the movie, who thinks that it reflects the struggle for justice for women, for representation and recognition. And then yesterday I had um, Celeste Marcus on the show, the managing editor of, of Liberties Quarterly, who believes that it actually was vapid and cynical and exploited um, women's sense of their self. Certainly those aren't the only shows we've done recently on women. Another show last week was with Lena Andrews, a military historian on the American service women who helped win World War II. Um, her book is called Valiant Women. Um, and we are back on Valiant Women or the theme of Valiant Women today. Valiant Women, though, not in terms of fighting, but in covering the world itself. Uh, my guest is Brooke Kroger. She has a new book out. It was out a couple of months ago. It's done extremely well. Lots of visibility. Undaunted, How Women Changed American Journalism. Uh, and Brooke is joining us from East Hampton in New York. Uh, Brooke, welcome. Congratulations on the new book. Have you seen Barbie? have to ask. I have seen Barbie. And, thank and you. Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down from a, a female point of view, not from an artistic point of view. So let me share this. I liked it a lot and everyone I was with liked it a lot. And so I asked my uh, 12-year-old granddaughter what she thought. And um, she said uh, that she was like, I, I think a lot of the messaging passed her by, but she was very focused on the fact that the Barbie series had Ken and Barbie as quite in love. And that in the movie, that was clearly not the case. That was like the big news to her. And then yesterday, my 16-year-old granddaughter, who is from abroad, uh, told me her reaction. And she said that this could have been a language issue because English is not her first language, but she speaks English very well. And she said that uh, for her, it was upsetting that it made her feel badly uh, because a lot of the questions about women's image and body image uh, struck her as hurtful. She was very focused on the cellulite uh, scene. So I thought those were, you know, kind of surprising responses um, from people who are not my age. I just share that. Well, it's clearly triggering very personal responses, for better or yeah. worse. And I think both Olivia and Celeste, uh, their responses were very personal. Uh, this book, for you, I'm guessing, Undaunted, is a very personal narrative. Mm -hmm. uh, your career is as a journalist, you were the UN correspondent for Newsday, deputy uh, metropolitan editor at New York Newsday, and so on and so forth. How personal is it, the idea of um, female journalists as uh, pioneering American journalism? So I, I never felt like a pioneer because by the time I came to the field in the uh, early 1970s, 
women were commonplace. The Vietnam War was on. Women were getting jobs. And there was a lot of legislation behind that from several years earlier that helped that along. So, you know, pioneer wasn't, uh, wasn't a sense. Um, I think in writing the book and doing the history, and of course, I've worked with parts of this history for a very, very long time. And you know, the book was not my idea. It was the, the editor's idea, who is a man, a very senior man. And um, that's an interesting aspect of how this yeah, came A man, about. if you turn this on its head, a man would never acknowledge that. And... Oh, no. Uh, no, he, he very much acknowledged it. I mean, this was his idea. He wanted this. No, I, I'm saying if you were a man. If you were male, I'm not sure you would acknowledge that it was a female, a senior female editor's idea for their book. But anyway, go on. Oh, possibly not. But I, I think, yeah, that you're right. It, but that's that is interesting, and I think remains interesting. Um, to one of the things that helped in writing the book was a lot of the things that women experienced 200 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, five years ago, are things that I understood from a perspective of having lived through periods where those things were still true. So, yes. So coming back to the subtitle of the book, How Women Changed American Journalism, the book deals with, and we're going to touch on them, everyone from Nellie Bly and Ida Tarbell and Ida Wells to Janet Malcolm, Joan Didion, Koki Roberts, and we'll talk about them later as individuals. Um, they're very distinguished American journalists, which is one narrative. But how have, in your view, how have, have women generally um, changed American journalism? What does that actually mean for, for women, for successful and perhaps sometimes unsuccessful female journalists changing American journalism? So the book contains a number of examples where you can see that the presence of women created change. Uh, in terms of coverage in wartime, when women were excluded from the battlefield, they came with, with other ways to cover war. That would be one way. Uh, in political campaigns, Anna Quinlan tells a story during the when Geraldine Ferraro was uh, up for vice president, how she got the times to stop, uh, well, how she and others got the times to stop describing clothes, like why were we describing women's clothes, things like that, that became set piece ways of, of, of functioning. Um, as as uh, women came more into the field, it became unattractive to be talking about pretty little, you know, pug nose poetess. I mean, phrases like this, which came into the language and were used even by women and men. So that would change. Uh, Charlene Hunter Galt uh, got the times to stop using Negro and to use the word black. But so, is that, a, I mean, a man could have done woman, that, or is that something specifically yeah, female a, in your view? A man didn't. You know, I think in that case, a man didn't. And um, yeah, I, I agree with you that could go either way, but the fact is she did that. But can you have it both ways? I mean, I'm sure we could go through the annals of journalism and find men who accomplished totally. other things, and someone could write a, a book saying uh, how men changed American journalism. Absolutely. I mean, women are often credited with bringing the human side to war, and yet we have great examples of men women winning Pulitzer Prizes for the same. So I agree with you about that. But I think that the mass of women did more of those kinds of things simply because they were often limited to it. So 
those would be reasons for change. Women uh, may have invented the interview, but certainly they brought the interview to the fore as a form because they were very good at it. Uh, so that that's a place where women created, you know, newness. And then, of course, some of the short-lived. So you uh, mean I should be thanking women for my show? There you go. Yeah, why not? And then um, you have, um, you know, episodes like that, that that I think speak highly to that. You talked about war. Um, I'm not sure if you include Clarissa Ward in the book. Um, she's a very notable female journalist at CNN. I had her on the show a couple of years ago, a memorable interview. And she talked about her moral outrage with the war in Syria and her response to it. And again, you've got to be careful pigeonholing, stereotyping. But it, I can't imagine a man having that response or at least being so public about that response. Is that fair? Um, I, I, I can imagine a man having that response to outrage, to horror. Yes, I can. I mean, think we, I think we've seen that in... Ernest Hemingway's reporting from the Spanish Civil War. I mean, we well seen- about Hemingway. You didn't. I mean, bringing up Hemingway. I mean, well, <laughs> I mean, if there, if there is a journalist who wasn't female, it was Hemingway, isn't that for for better or worse? Yeah, but but the work really does show the horror of a faceless human being. I mean, I think of some of those stories. I taught them. I mean, they they're extraordinary in that regard. Don't you think? I guess so. Um, so in terms of women journalists, do you think one of the reasons why they're so, at least in your narrative, so distinctive and uh, disruptive is because of their of the world that they were from, independent of journalism, whatever women like Nellie, Bell, Nellie Bly and Ida Tarbell and particularly Ida Wells one of the, the heroines of the book, whatever they would have decided to do, whether it was medicine or business or journalism or, or acting um, or teaching, they would have changed the world. Say, say your point again. I'm not getting the question. My point is with somebody like Ida Wells, obviously, who was from a world, uh, an African-American civil rights leader um, born in 1862 in Mississippi, a woman of enormous ability who chose to be a journalist, educator. Um, Whatever she would have decided to have done, she would have been deeply disruptive. Whether she would have, I mean, it would have been hard, I guess, for her to be a doctor or a a lawyer. But my my point is, is that the, the world that some of these women were out of necessarily meant that they were going to be disruptive, whether or not they were journalists or doctors or lawyers. Of course, you were always dealing with the fact that women's sphere was considered what was important, home, church, family, husband, children. And so once women started to break out of that in new ways, there were a lot of forces, including from women themselves, pushing them back into the traditional mold. So that's happening. In in the newspaper world, the journalism world in general, you would have an attitude from an editor that I have to protect this woman. You know, I can't send her out late at night. I can't send her, you know, slipping down a banister in her long petticoats. I have to get her a chaperone that's going to cost me double money. 
So those are reasons I wouldn't want her here. And then there was, you know, a kind of misplaced chivalry of, you know, wanting to protect uh, women. And then there was the feeling that they were incompetent, that they were uh, congenitally incapable of thinking, of critical thinking, of not making errors. I mean, all this were things that happened early and stayed as saws for a very, very long time. So breaking through that was really hard. And then, you know, just the nature of getting bigfooted by men would happen a lot. Men, men in the field needed women because they, along came uh, department store advertising and needing women's copy that no man wanted to write. So then they became a necessity and then it became necessary to keep them in that pen because no men wanted to do that work and that work brought revenue. So there were a lot of things working against women becoming a Clarissa Ward until you know many, many years later. We had um, Elizabeth, uh, uh, sorry, Alison Gilbert on the show. She's written a book about Elsie Robinson. She's a friend the, of mine. Yeah, the most popular American woman writer you've never heard of, I guess the most popular American journalist or certainly a female journalist you've, you've never heard of. Uh, sh she has a new book out or was new a couple of years ago, Listen World, How the Intrepid Elsie Robinson Became America's Most Read Woman. She was a columnist, of course, writing, I guess, and uh, correct me if, if this is patronizing, uh, a, a sort of a female-centric column. Is that what you're talking about and the way in which women got in, in some ways patronized and shunted off into female yes. journalist jobs? She was a women's page writer, uh, largely an advice columnist in the beginning. And then she, uh, you know, she dealt with a lot of serious issues as women columnists did. But, you know, if you, if you go through the papers, I've looked at her work. She appears on the women's pages. The, the women in my book, uh, and not to denigrate that at all, because women did fantastically at that. And there were, you know, Dorothy Dix, there were other columnists of the, her period who were much more household names, I think. Uh, I'm sure Allison would disagree with that, but I, I think so. Anyway, um, you'd find that my book is not about that group, though I think that group is important in their own right, but my book is about the women who did men's jobs. I mean, if, if we can put it crassly, they were women who, would do, who were doing work that men would envy. Those are the women I have focused on. And I think those are the women who brought the most change because the work that Elsie did and others was expected women's work in many ways. And not to say that there's anything wrong with that. That's not what I'm saying. It just is not what I wrote about. That's all. In, in terms of the women doing men's jobs, did they understand that in a sense they had to become men? Did they have to make compromises? What was your experience in terms of, of covering everybody from Bly and Tarbell and, and Wales to Galhorn, Malcolm and Didion, did they need to, if not dress differently, behave differently, make compromises? So I don't think so. I think what's interesting about the women who were able to work at a man's level, if we can put it that way, they were able to do that. They won the respect of the men around them. They were brilliant and often exceptional in their era. So I saw that happen over and over again, that a woman who had 
everything had no problems from, you know, 1840 on when mass media can be counted as beginning. Women like Margaret Fuller were so astounding that they had immediately the respect of men and had a way of just leapfrogging over most of the problems. We see this over and over again. And uh, someone like Ishbel Ross, who was one of the early, what are called front page girls in the 1920s, um, when Stanley Walker, the city editor, writes about her, you know, he writes about her as uh, a newspaper man's idea of what a newspaper woman should be, that she was able to work quickly, that she didn't create ruckus in the newsroom, that she wasn't, you know, sitting on tables, crossing her legs, that she wasn't doing things that distracted, that she could cover anything. I mean, all the things you would expect of a great reporter. And um, so we see this over and over again, that women who could do that, who had like an A++ brief, never had problems, not even in the earliest days. There just weren't that many of them. Galhorn comes to mind. I mean, tell me a little bit about her, why she's one of the central figures in your, in your book, why she captures the spirit of undaunting. Yeah, she's fabulous. She, uh, she's from St. Louis. Uh, I come from Kansas City, so, you know, it's an area of the world I know. And I spent a lot of time looking at the society pages of the St. Louis papers while she was growing up. And you get a sense of, you know, where a lot of her confidence comes from, because she's from a very, very prominent family. Her mother was a major suffragist, uh, did extraordinary events that uh, were really game-changing for the suffrage movement in the Midwest. Her father was an important physician, and she had lots of opportunity early. She went to Bryn Mawr. She didn't quite finish. She goes mm. off to be a reporter. She um, uh, starts at the New Republic, gets several stories in print. I mean, she can't be more than 19. She goes to the Albany Times, uh, does some good work there, then trots off to Europe. When she needs something, when she needs credentials, she can write to Eleanor Roosevelt because that's the prominence of the family and the connections. So you see how a lot of that helped her along the way, you know, just the confidence and the savoir-faire, the, the ability to get around in the world was, you know, very much a part of it. And then of course there was the talent. And um, I, I just like her story a lot. Um what what captures what book do you think written by American female journalists captures the spirit of undaunted are, are there books by Didion for example I'm a big admirer of her work uh, Janet too. Malcolm is also a best-selling writer is, is there a particular book Brooke, you know, you, that, you name that, people that write, captures it writes so differently and I think that's that's what captures women I mean you know, you could look at people like even Elsie Robinson, if you want to, in terms of, or Nellie Bly, or, you know, people who were uh, softer writers and still see that the range of women is the range of women. And um, what does so, that mean? The range of women is the range of women. Like the range is vast. So there's a lot of talent in a lot of arenas. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I just couldn't point to one. I really couldn't. Um, er, the women we think of as paragons mostly represent different areas of doing things well, you know, whether it's war reporting or 
um, immersion journalism or you know any of the any of the fields myriad forms even specialty forms like science or anything else I mean I just it would be so hard to pinpoint that for me what about forms um, I know you feature Koki Roberts uh, American journalist who's very well known on radio uh, in terms of uh, women changing American journalism, is radio particularly important, television, print, or, or, or are they relatively equal? I think they're all important in their time. You know, um, when television has its heyday, of course, that's very important. And we see women, uh, African-American women and others who change the game by their participation. Uh, gosh, yeah, <laughs> I, I like the Koki. I don't do a lot with Koki Roberts, but I focused on a panel she ran and you really see her personality through it. Um, she's, she's talking to a number of broadcasters who are pretty well known. And, uh, and she, you know, she has lines like, um, she'll say, um, and, you know, and men ran it right into the ground, you know, this sort of asides, which, which, kind of gives you a sense of why she uh, was such a personality like that. How, how do you define journalism? Because when I think of Koki Roberts, who for all her asides is a hard journalist of news, yes. and Joan Didion, for example, who I, I have to admit, I don't really think of as a journalist. I think of her as a writer. Did you have to establish boundaries? I mean, you brought up Hemingway. I mean, not everyone would think of Hemingway primarily as a journalist. How, how do you define what a journalist is and, and where does a journalist end and a writer begin? Or are oh, those meaningful, meaningless terms? I think if the work shows up in magazines and newspapers and, you know, journals, that it's journalism. I mean, that, that's why I would say that often collected into larger works of, of books. But that, that's where I would put it. If your starting point is if you define yourself as a journalist, which I think many would, or they wrote in that medium, that, that would work for me. If I'm finding the work in journals, you know, in periodicals of some nature, I think that's journalism. The Australian writer, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, uh, Anna Funder, she wrote Stasi Land. She has a new book out. It's already out in the UK. It's coming out next month in the US. It's already getting a, a ton of very positive press. It's called um, Wifedom, and it's about Orwell's wife. Yeah. And how essentially Orwell wrote her out of his story. Um, I'm wow. going to try and get her on the show. I'm, I'm really excited about reading the book and, and potentially talking to her. Other generalizations, uh, I know it's hard to, because you're covering so many different women, Brooke. But are there generalizations about the way in which these women treated their significant others that I would assume tended mostly to be men? Did they acknowledge them more than perhaps a man <laughs> might acknowledge a wife? I, I don't think I can answer that, but I can tell you something I found really interesting, that during the late 1890s, uh, there was a series of wars, Cuba, the Philippines, you know, and then into Asia, Turkey. And there was just lots going on, Greece. And um, James Creelman, who was a swashbuckling, important foreign correspondent, writes this memoir that I just thought was enchanting. And he talks about how many of these 
hotshot men correspondents brought their wives with them to war as you know, aides de camp. And then what an advantage this was for all of these men, because they had someone who knew how to cajole information out of generals who could run copy for them so they didn't have to stop. And you know, he, he speaks with some envy about the fact that this was possible for all of them. Um, and I, I, you know, it's just kind of fascinating that there was that dynamic where women were helping men in that way. And I think, you know, having been a foreign correspondent for eight years, um, I was, you know, not partnered at the time, but a lot of people had that help from their spouses. So that's kind of a great thing. The New York Times review loved the book. A couple of minor criticisms of the end. One is that you tend to treat most distinguished female journalists as progressives. You know, one that comes to mind is, of course, the famous muckraking um, journalist uh, Ida Tarbell, very influential in the progressive era. Is that a fair criticism? Do you write conservative female journalists out of your narrative? I don't think so. I mean, I, I really don't think so. And Ida Tarbell, you know, was not a suffragist. I mean, the, the one major moment of her era. She was oh, not. she wasn't? She was not. So, in spite of being a muckraking journalist, she didn't think women should have the vote. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how she didn't think it, but she was not of the movement. That's amazing. There's a there's See, a so, book there on that. Exactly. So, I I wouldn't have looked at that political perspective in that way. I know I have um, some figures from the Vietnam War who've been very important in Fox later. I mean, I just didn't. I just. I work through the material, you know, I work through what's coming up, what's telling me that this matters. Some of the examples I like to use are someone like Dorothy Thompson, you know, who could have a two issue profile in the same year in both the Saturday Evening Post and the New Yorker. That's somebody I have to deal with. You know, it's like, how can you ignore that? That, that, that makes her important to me. So that's the way I approach the material. I looked at it decade by decade with the same two search firms, the same two search terms to see what came up, you know, what was burping to the surface? Who was, who were people talking about? Who were on the list of the 20 most, the 15, you know, greatest, the ones who can help you, uh, the ones who've captured our imagination. That That's how I approach the work. So I'm, I'm, I'm never really thinking about the politics of it. I just don't. Maybe, uh, subliminal uh I mean, we live in an age of course of controversies in journalism about plagiarism a week doesn't seem to go by when some other prominent journalist is accused of plagiarism sometimes losing their job other generalizations i know it's hard in terms of all women uh one very distinguished american journalist uh, uh, uh janet malcolm was involved in a controversy uh, can one, would it be fair to say, and I'm putting words into your mouth, of course, that not that you will accept them, um, that, that women are a little bit more honest, a little less cowboyish, uh, when it comes to playing around with the facts, the truth? No, I don't think I would say that. I mean, I think in the Janet Malcolm case, we, you know, it was, it went through the courts and, um, she ended up all right in that. Um, her, I, 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 I don't know what I would say about that. I don't, I don't think so. No. What about the issue of, I mean, you, you can't have a 
any history of America without focusing on on the issue of race. Um, we talked about uh, Ida B. Wells. We've had shows on her before. You cover another a number of other uh, African American journalists, including Ethel Payne. Do uh, black American female journalists do they have a a unique chapter in in in, in American journalism, or can one collapse no. them into the the broader category of female journalists? They have a unique place in the same way they have it in the suffrage movement, where there are a particular constellation issues around race that infect everything. Um, there was a point in the writing of the book where um, Charlene Hundergalt said to me, um, she was talking about her career and um, she said the phrase, uh, well, um, sometimes things are complicated like that or something like that. And I left it because it, it was clear to me what it meant. And my editor challenged it and he said, you have to do more with that. What does that mean? And so I, you know, had to do some hard reporting with colleagues and people who I would speak to. I went back to uh, Charlene Hunter-Gault and she did not respond to the question. Like, in what, you know, how can I push this? What else does this mean? And several other of my friends um, said they wouldn't deign to speak for Charlene Hunter-Gault, you know, which was a dodge. And finally, I pushed hard enough where I could get an answer. And the answer was that the complications of being a woman and black uh, are something that you are very careful about addressing, that they can torpedo a career in ways that just being a woman might not. And, uh, and there's, a whole, there's a whole passage in the book about that. Which you, was, you, you, you've oh, written a number of other books, uh, a couple on, um, uh, couple on uh, well, that, uh, passing of why people can't be who they are. Are there cases of fe uh, female journalists who pretended to be men who got away with it? Um, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I was, I was hoping I would have found an episode like that. And I'm sure there's times where people, maybe they were so, it. so good at it. They got away with it. Exactly. But I'm maybe sure Hemingway was a woman. Maybe. Hey, you never know. Um, I think you find that, Covering is something that journalists do. You know, if there's a way to get away with something so that you can get more information, people talk about wearing trench coats and putting, you know, notebooks in their pockets to look more like uh, your FBI or something so that somebody doesn't scoot you away from a site. Um, people putting on red bandanas in bars down south when they're trying to get information. There are lots of stories like that about men or women. So I think people will do things to make themselves not seen, you know, in order to get more information. I think that does happen for sure. Um, you know, there are times where you might have somebody else make the phone call if you think you're going to get better information. That's something I've done. Or, you know, to avoid encounters that you don't want to have. I mean, that, that could happen. So there, there, there are some forms of passing, I think, that go on uh, to get the work done. In our age of gender fluidity, to use a euphemism. Mm -hmm. Does that change all this, Brooke? Um, women, men, trans, changing American journalism, are these terms even useful these days? Gosh, I think we'd have to wait about five or six more years to be able to look at that, you know, critically in a good way. Um, I, I think some of the issues for women over, 
over a long period have really improved and some abide. And uh, when something comes up, when something happens uh, and gets into the news, the reaction from women, you know, even today and younger women is so visceral to what that experience connotes that um, I think we can't say that, you know, we're all fluid and it's over because I, I don't think that's true. In 2023, journalism is a profession under assault in all sorts of different ways, um, from AI to the internet to Google to Facebook. You've covered some female, contemporary female journalist initiatives, the 19th, for example. Yep. Are, are women uniquely equipped, do you think, to reinvent, save American journalism in, in the age of AI and the internet and Facebook no. and social media? I, I would never say that. I think you need everybody. I mean, I think the, the, the reinvention involves a very, very diverse group. And that's really what's necessary. And where we've seen the problem is when we haven't had that. So I, I wouldn't say that. But where can uh, institutions like or initiatives like the 19th Cooperative, how, how can they help, do you think, figure out truth yeah. and opinion and bias and all these other issues that are undermining American journalism and and, uh, and, and and also figure out business models so that these people can be actually paid. I can speak to business models on that score because I had a really good conversation with Emily Ramshaw about that. And um, it seems to me that several of these women-run uh, big nonprofits have been exceptional in benefits, like really extraordinarily important benefit packages where, you know, leave and caregiving and all these elements that are harder to get through the big institutions have been incorporated. And that was interesting to me that every single one I spoke to that had a great and progressive package was uh, a, a woman-centric organization or run by women. And so I think that that's an important place where you can see some change. Um, in terms of the work, we all have to do the work. Everyone. I mean, Laura, Lauren Powell is one of the great funders now of independent journalism. I, she's put a lot of money into the Atlantic. Do you think philanthropists, female philanthropists like Powell bring a particular female sensibility or again, am I making gender yeah. generalization? I think that's a gender generalization. I think you want people who care about great journalism and that's what we really need and sustaining it. Well, Brooke, I really, the, I usually with books, the titles are usually not very good, but I have to say that this is an extremely good title. And maybe we will end with this idea of undaunted. What, what does the word mean? I know what it means in my head. I'm not sure if I can define it. How would you define the word undaunted? So I really wanted to call it dauntless because I thought that was the better word. Is there dauntless. such a word as dauntless? It's a really great word. And dauntless means get out of my way. <laughs> it's get out of my way. Undaunted means without fear, that you have no fear. And um, I was outvoted. You were out. I, I actually, I have to admit, I prefer undaunted because I've never heard of dauntless. It's a good word. I mean, it really, it, it's, a, it's a more powerful so, uh, word. So, so dauntless means get out of my way. And what does undaunted mean? Without fear. You're without fear. You have no fear. 